Welcome in. This is episode four of the Card Chronicle podcast. We're going to switch things up a little bit today and move away from the basketball conversation and into the football conversation. So you got Mike Rutherford here, and we also have Card Chronicle deputy editor Keith Wynn, who, uh, if you haven't been following his stuff with football in the last few years, I'm not sure exactly what you're doing, uh, but follow him on Twitter at Keith underscore Wynn, W-Y-N-N-E. Keith, how are you, man? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I'm excited we get to do this. Uh, it's great timing for you with the start of the podcast because football like just ended and there's nothing to talk about before uh, during this period between early signing period and the actual start of spring practice, which I think is going to be in March this year. So uh, we kind of are hit and miss for topics. But actually this week we got some fun stuff to talk about, some relevant stuff pertaining to Louisville football. I think the big news of the week, at least if, if you're talking about Cardinal football, is the release that was, uh, I guess, put out there on Monday about the changes coming to Cardinal Stadium. It generated a, a firestorm of reaction. A lot of it good, some of it bad on one of the particular changes. If you missed it, the new features um, that UofL released this week, uh, they involve tailgating. There's a fan zone that's going to be constructed outside the stadium. They're going to boost Wi-Fi access, which is something that people have been talking about for a long time. And then the fucking pink seats, man. The, the, the pink seats, the, the topic that will never die. Uh, there were updates to the uh, the recoding process is what they're calling it now. And they're also uh, I, I, talking about improvements to the parking lot. And we'll start there because I think that's the biggest change. The, the purple lot, formerly the green lot, it's still going to have a few reserved parking spots at the very, very front. But outside of that, fans are going to be able to buy a parking pass to get into the lot. And from this point forward, it's going to be first come, first serve. So if you want to tailgate, if you want a premium spot, if you want to show up with your friends and be able to tailgate next to one another, you're going to have to get to the game maybe a little bit earlier than you have in the past. I guess I'll just start there. Uh, Keith, your overall reaction to the news that UofL is now going with this first come, first serve uh, for its parking lot tailgating situation starting this coming season? You know, for me, I mean, I, I don't really, <clears throat> I don't partake, so I don't really have a strong opinion on it, you know, from a standpoint of like the negative reaction I've seen from it. Um, but I do think that it makes sense. It's kind of how other schools do it. You know, I know in the NFL they do it this way. And and really, to me, I think the, the main thing that stuck out to me from the previous times when I have tailgated is the safety aspect. Uh -huh. uh, you know, I think that that's something that's really kind of been, I, I guess, you know, dismissed by some folks that are not happy with it. But, you know, if you go out there and you're tailgating and, you you know, you get your tailgate set up, uh, or if you got kids playing, you know, throwing the football around or anything like that, you know, you've got cars driving around and you've got to move everything and you've got kids not really paying attention. I mean, that's something I've noticed in the past, something I noticed in the game I went to this year. Uh, and I just, it just seems like it's just common sense. Uh, but I guess, you know, I think it almost feels like a little bit like the reaction to the reaction is bigger than the actual negative reaction. You know, like I, yeah. I, it feels like people kind of, you know, being upset with people being upset seems to be a bigger deal and I, I i don't know that 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 stuff happens sometimes but to me it seems like a no-brainer i think when it all comes down to it the, the simple thought of it to me is that vince tyree 80s around the country they have to do something to combat the the lack of attendance and whatever you know whether you agree with what they choose to do i'm happy he's doing something because where Louisville's in the same spot as every other school, the attendance is lacking. They've got to do something to try to combat it. If it means if this is going to help that, if he thinks it's going to help it, 
to me, I mean, I think that's just the right decision to make, in my opinion. No, I think that's really well put. I, I think that the the group of people that have been against this, it's mostly, and, and I'm sure that there are, are other examples, but most of what I've seen, it's from people that have had the same parking spots like with their friends or with their family for a long period of time. Um, people who have said, you know, look, I'm able to show up to the game four hours early, but my brother's only able to show up two and a half hours early because of kids. My dad's only able to show up one hour early because he's not as mobile now. And if we all want to tailgate next to one another with this new rule, we're going to have to show up to the game at the exact same time. And I think that with Vince Tyree, maybe this is where the business background comes into play because he recognizes the fact, exactly what you just said, you've got to reach out to the people who are kind of on the fence about coming to the games. The people who have been tailgating long enough to have parking spots next to each other and that have been doing this for decades, like you assume that they're going to keep coming, that they're going to be pissed off about this but that not, they're not going to be pissed off enough to stop coming because if you've been going to Louisville football games for decades, like, like some of these people have been saying, you've been through some shit. Like, like, like you, <laughs> you, you've been through some shit and you've kept coming to games and not maybe having to work a little bit harder to tailgate next to one another is probably not going to be enough to, to keep you from coming. And Tyree has to recognize that. He wants to appeal to the fans who have been saying, look, like we got to tailgate. If we want to tailgate together – we've had to go all the way out to Old Cardinal or we've had to tailgate all the way at the back or, or we're meeting, you know, we're walking all these distances to, to meet up with people. Like, that's who he wants to appeal to. And I think also, like, you can't overlook the aspect of the tailgating lot, like the, the green lot, or I guess the purple lot now, it just looks shitty to visiting fans when you've got one car here and the next car that's visible is 150 feet to the left. And it looks yeah. shitty to visiting media members and everybody. And if nothing else, it's at least going to look better outside the stadium now, which is no small deal. Like it's uh, you want to get those visiting fans that are making the trip for the first time uh, who are in the ACC to come back in two years. And I think having a, a solid, a better atmosphere outside the stadium is going to accomplish that. Um, so I, I kind of think that that's where it is. And I'm with you. I, I think that there's been a, a, a vocal minority. And I certainly understand the concerns of those people that they're valid and it sucks. But it's kind of a you've got to cut out those people or piss off those people to please the greater majority. And we'll see if that winds up working. Uh, any additional thoughts on the parking situation, Keith? Well, well, I think you kind of nailed it. And, and the kind of put a bone is that you're really kind of you're willing to risk the people that, you know, are still going to show up in hopes to bring in new people. I mean, that, that's just a it's just a it's a smart gamble to make and I, I don't even know if it's really a gamble as much as it's a calculated you know uh decision to say yeah these folks that have been coming for years they're not going to stop coming and if they if that if a parking spot or the i guess the inconvenience of having to walk further or park somewhere else is going to stop them from coming to games when the team is playing well when things are going so positive for the program i, I don't even I, I just don't see that happening that's that, that would be so odd and in, and and in, and when you look at it, if you can get two or three more fans in for that one you lost, that's still a win. So right. it just seems like a to me it just seems very. It's January. There's not much to talk about, and there we need outrage, and that's that's what Louisville does pretty well. <laughs> exactly right. Um, <laughs> the second change that's coming out is the improvement to the Wi-Fi and the cell phone service, which has been talked about for a long time. It's personal to me because I can't tell you. It's probably been three or four times since we started going to games uh, with season tickets, which I think was, it was Charlie's first year. It was 2010, where I've like tried to send a tweet 
and it hasn't gone through. But then I've gone to take a piss like an hour and a half later, and that tweet goes through, and it makes me look really ridiculous. Like I'll be like, "Hell yeah, let's go!" And we're like down twenty-eight to ten when the tweet finally comes through an hour and a half. And it's so that the, avoiding that embarrassment, I think, is going to be fun. And it's also big because they're apparently going to move to mobile ticketing in twenty twenty-one, which a lot of other big-time college programs have already done. Um, so, like, I don't think we need to really talk about the Wi-Fi and cellular improvements. That's uh, kind of a no-brainer. I think you get universal approval from Louisville fans there. The recoding process. I'll ask you this. When those seats are finally read, is there a part of you that's going to miss not just the pink seats, but the pink seat discussion? The, the discussion is much better than anything else. <laughs> and I, I think this past season was kind of fun because they got some of the seats done, but not the other ones. And then you have this kind of odd look. You know, when the stadium's empty or when they're showing, you know, uh, the pregame or things like that. And you get a couple seats in the background that are that are, you know, nice and new red. And it, it just it, it was so it's so stupid that it's hilarious. And then it just adds to the just the, the stupidness of the conversation. So I'm going to kind of miss that part of it because, you know, it's, it's just it was kind of like one of those things about the stadium that was just kind of it's just it's unique in a way, I guess. It sort of looks like me when I put sunscreen on and go to the beach for 30 minutes um, because I'm, I invariably miss some spots. <laughs> and so you just have like those blotches. And that's kind of what the pink seats became. Like the red seats were sort of the blotches. It did. It led to one of my favorite moments of all time with Kenny Klein, who is the greatest human being alive, as we've established. Like before the before the season started, um, I think Vince Tyree came on our show, uh, RIP Ramsey and Rutherford. And he said something along the line. He, he basically announced the whole, like, we're going to have all these red seats painted. We started the process now. They're not all going to be done by the time the Notre Dame game happens, but they are going to be done. I think he said at the time, like, we should be done by October, which obviously didn't happen. But I, I made the point that if my seat in my section wasn't red by the time the Notre Dame game rolled around, I was holding Kenny Klein personally responsible. I didn't care that he had nothing to do with it. It was going to be his ass. So I ended up not even – I did the pregame show and wasn't able to go to the game because we were on uh, extreme baby watch at that point. But Kenny had bought a red trash bag that he said – he later told me he had to order from Amazon because you can't find red trash bags anywhere. Put it over my seat and left a note <laughs> saying, like, don't, you know, d don't say I didn't do anything for you. Like, if you're going to call me out, here you go, red seat, which is like the GOAT move of all time. Like, he just – he wins again because he always fucking does. Like, it, it's Kenny Klein. He's like the best guy on earth. I, my, my one small Kenny Klein story I have was way back when I was in high school, uh, college uh, uh, ESPN was airing a Thursday night game in Louisville, and Lee Corso was coming and Kirk Herbstreet, and Lee Corso, when I was in high school, was like my idol. I thought he was the coolest guy on earth. I love, I, you know, I'm, I'm a huge football nerd, obviously. So I was like, you know what? I wonder if I could meet Lee Corso. And so at the time, my mom worked at UofL, and I just asked her out of nowhere. Kenny Klein came through for me and set it up so that I could get to the football offices when Corso and Herb Street were showing up. And oh, I still man. have an autograph ball uh, with Corso, Tariko, and Herb Street. It was the coolest day of my life at the time, you know, being like 16 years old. And it's like, you know, he didn't like he had no reason to actually have to go through all that. And he had to, you know, set up things and remember this and make a phone call. But I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. It's, it's just him in a nutshell to me. Oh, he's the best. He is, uh, you know, not just really, really good at his job, not just a, a tireless worker, not just one of the funniest people I've ever talked to, but also just pure down to earth, nicest human being alive. If you're a L fan who hasn't met him and, and is hoping that he's as nice as he seems, 
he eased even more so. He sent me the nicest <laughs> message, like, right when the, the news broke, I guess, Tuesday morning when it first started getting out there. And I told my friends, like, Kenny just texted. And they were all like, I would get fired from my job if it meant Kenny Klein would send me a nice text. Like, that's the, the, that's how much <laughs> he means it to everybody. But he's the best. And if nothing else, the pink seats led to that moment. So shout out to Kenny Klein uh, if you're listening to this, which you're probably not. It's okay. We, we still love you anyway. Um, <laughs> the only other change is this, um, this construction of the fan zone, which still a little vague on details. Um, Tyree did kind of explain a little bit on the show on Monday. Shout out to Jeffersonville Hooters, by the way. It was that show. Um, immortalized forever. Vince Tyree, last guest of R&R. <laughs> called into the, the Jeffersonville Hooters to share his thoughts with us. But they're apparently going to have like a music stage and a beer garden and food truck options and also like a family fun zone. It's basically what they tried to do with those Petrino Family Foundation tailgates at the uh, the Traeger Center a few years ago. They got all that good stuff. It's just going to be outside now. And I think that the tailgate guys, that partnership, it actually looked pretty cool last year once it got up and running. And I'm curious to see if it really catches on um, now that it becomes kind of a staple and people get used to it. But this seems like a good thing to me. I, I don't know exactly how popular it's going to be right off the bat, but you can't go wrong with more options outside Cardinal Stadium before games, right? Well, I think you nailed it. I mean, it's it's what's the worst of it is that you, you can't have too much. I mean, if people don't really enjoy it, then it's not really hurting anything. I don't I don't think I don't think that it's something that they're going to be, you know, taking away something else to add this. So it's just another option. You know, I think that uh, live music, some people love that stuff. I think that food trucks are always a good idea. I mean, it's just something that, I mean, I personally like. And then, you know, just like anything else with Louisville Athletics, I mean, if there's alcohol involved. It's a positive, man. I mean, people love that shit. So it's going to be really, I think it's a good idea. Who knows how well it'll take off or how quickly or if it maybe takes a year or takes half a season or anything like that. But it's, a, I mean, what's the negative, I guess, is my, is my view on it. I'm with you. Uh, I think these are all good changes with the, I guess you've got the the couple of drawbacks with the first come first serve stuff. But like we talked about, I think the positives outweigh the negatives there. I know some people would disagree, but that's just kind of where I stand. Let's move on to yeah. the, the topic that I really like. This is why I really wanted you to come on here for episode four, because <laughs> you're, is it fair to say on the record, maybe a billion times with your thoughts uh, on Bobby Petrino? I, I think that that's been fairly well established. Is that correct? Uh, I feel like that's fair. You know, uh, you know read, read my Twitter bio if you if you don't know. Yeah, I, I, I was pretty adamant about uh, the second time around uh, ending up the way that it ended. So, yeah, I think it's fair. So we get the news, uh, I guess it was yesterday, we're recording this on Thursday, so this was Wednesday, that Bobby Petrino is, in fact, going to have another head coaching gig in college football. This time it's at the FCS level, Missouri State has hired him to be their new head coach. I guess I'll just uh, I'll open the floor to you. Your overall reaction when you heard that another university had hired Bobby Petrino to lead its college football program. I mean, you know, my initial reaction was just to laugh. I mean, I'm sorry, you can't, I couldn't help but the first thing that popped in my head, because the way that this news came out, which is, is part of the hilarity to me. So first you see, you get the football scoop guys who are pretty, pretty high up there on the list of you know you want breaking coaching news those guys know that know their stuff pretty well uh and they said that missouri state was going to be hiring art browse well then uh. a local guy from uh springfield missouri uh chimes in he's he, he says you know he's been told by multiple sources that they're hiring bobby petrino so initially my first thought was like well this this is interesting i mean you know 
how, why don't you just light yourself on fire? I mean, what a terrible, <laughs> you, you gotta, you gotta make these terrible choices. Just, you just, just go ahead and just light the match and be like, yeah, I'm just done. I, it's, it's so, it was so funny to me. I'm like, God, that is your, that is your choices. Like out of all these coaches in the country, this is what you end up with. So the next morning it becomes obvious that they're going to hire Petrino. So then my first, my next thought is how bad is your situation that you have to float, you have to leak an art browse rumor to make your coaching hire seem better. Oh yeah. Because like the the guy that you leak, if you're a normal school, is Petrino. Like you leak that you're gonna go with Petrino to make your uh, this this you know G five coach that nobody knows or hey this this uh coordinator that nobody really knows much about. We could have gone with Petrino. So hey, we 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 went better than that. But you got to be really scraping the bottom of the barrel if you have to leak the brows to make Petrino seem better. So that, it just started off on a high note for me because I was like, this is just so bad. Like I you're in a like, real bad spot. I feel like this has happened a couple of times with our brows. I know it's happened with Hugh Freeze too, where people will leak out that they're a candidate just so the fan base gets so pissed off that they're like more accepting of a, of a candidate that they would have otherwise been really pissed off about. And I just get the feeling like, this is going to keep happening, and it's just going to piss off Art Bryles more than anybody. Like, he's going to be opening his Google <laughs> News alerts, and it's like, Oklahoma State says Art Bryles. He's going to be like, God damn it, here we go again. Like, stop doing this shit. Like, this is already embarrassing enough. And I don't know where you turn if you don't go with Art Bryles or, or Hugh Freeze. Like, like, there are only so many just, like, Brian Van Gorder. We're considering him to be our defensive coordinator. And then, oh, we we hired this guy who gave up a billion points at BYU last year. He's not so bad. So, like, that, that, that was hilarious. Like, there was no part of me that was shocked that Bobby Petrino got another job. Like, they, they, I don't know why – so every, like, all these columns being written about, like, how what does he have to do? Like, there are Arkansas fans right now, and you know this. you got family down there. You were just down there a couple of times in the last couple of months who are, like, wanting to cut off their pinkies to, to get Bobby Petrino to come back because he won there. Like, my only surprise with this whole thing is that it was an FCS school, that it wasn't, like, an FBS Sunbelt or, or even, like, an Arkansas doing this. <clears throat> There's zero part of me – when we fired Bobby Pacino last year, like there was no part of me that thought that th that was the end for him, that he wasn't going to get another gig. This is what happens. If you've proven you can be a winner at any point in your career, whether it was, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, look at Mac Brown, like somebody's going to hire you. It's just the, the way that it works here. So here's the thing. There, there's, there's two sides of this to me that were so interesting. There are a lot of things that when it comes to the Petrino aspect of it, that people felt very strongly about and one thing that i could say about bobby petrino is that nobody really knows what goes on in bobby petrino's head like there are people who thought that well he's got he's got 14 million he doesn't need to coach like i don't think that i don't even think the money even matters to him i really no. don't i think he really he is a football junkie he does love football and being away from football is not something that i don't think that was ever a thing that was going to sit well with him he just doesn't really know anything else he doesn't really do anything else He's just a football guy. Like I knew that I didn't, I won't say that I thought that he would immediately get a head coaching job, but I knew he'd be doing something, whether it be even being like an analyst for an NFL team. That's where I thought he would go first, because I do think he loves football. I think he, I don't think he truly loves everything with coming that comes with being a college head coach, being a part of like your, your college community, going to, the the basketball he went to a Missouri State basketball game uh, last night I guess and the you could just see how uncomfortable he was <laughs> being in the stands it was insane like his face is just he just 
just, he was dapping up one, some guy that was in like a fraternity and his face is just like, what am I supposed to do with my hand here? I don't, I don't understand what I'm doing. Like, it's just, he's just uncomfortable around people. He's just, he's an odd guy. And, but, but when it comes down to it, he's won games first. And secondly, all you need is someone, you need one guy in the administration who can make a decision to say, yeah, I want that guy. And they have Missouri, uh, Missouri state has a AD who worked at Louisville who, you know, has been, been around Petrino and that's all he needed. That guy yeah. needed a coach for his very, very bad football program. And Bobby Petrino was like, yeah, I'll take it. Why not? I mean, that's as simple as that. And from Petrino's standpoint, it's the same game plan he, he went, went along with when it came to getting past the Arkansas situation. Take the job at Western Kentucky, win some games, prove that you can win games again, someone else will give you a call, you'll get a better job. I yeah. think that's what his game plan is. Whether or not that'll work still, that's that's to be seen. But, I mean, I, it's it's simple to me. I mean, I mean, Hugh Freeze is probably the best example. I mean, that guy got caught red-handed doing a lot of bad stuff and got a job very quickly. You know, you win games and nobody cares. And that's that's how guys like Bob Petrino continue to get jobs. And it's going to keep happening. He, he, you know, he hasn't done anything illegal you know so to speak at least you know not that we know of but (laughs) so as long as you can you know as long as you get past that stuff it's all about hey can this guy win games and last year or two years ago seems like an anomaly when it comes down to it to a lot of folks that aren't gonna you know for for us that, that follow Louisville football closely we know there was more than just hey there's more there were things that led to that bad season on paper it looks like he had four really good seasons or four good seasons and one bad one. And that one seems like an outlier. We know that a lot, it, it took a lot for them to get to that point and things were kind of going downhill for a couple of years. But that when you're looking at it on paper, all you see is a Heisman trophy winner, all those things like that. And that stuff is, is, is a really big sell. And that's what they're going for. First of all, if you haven't seen the picture of him, like giving the fist bump to the Missouri State student, find that immediately because Keith's right. It's, it's fantastic. You can see like the wheels turning in his head. Like, do I like do, do I blow it up? Do I do the explosion thing? Or you know, am I gonna have to fight this person? Like, what, what what's happening? Like, you can just tell that he's like, I, I this is the first human interaction that I've had in nine months outside of my family. It's very very strange. Um, I'm Here, there's another there's a video that. Uh, they caught him going and getting into his hotel after he took the job, I guess, last night. It is extremely awkward, and I, I suggest that you find that also because it is amazing. He's he's kind of walking, and they're, they're, he takes a picture with a fan who happens to be walking by, and the guy, you know, there's a news reporter, and he starts asking some questions, and he is so caught off guard by just having to talk to a person in, in a non-like, you know, set up, you know, plan setting that he ends up walking past the entrance because he's just discombobulated and he's kind of like i think i have to go in here now thank you and just kind of turns around and walks away and it's Uh just like okay this is awkward you you just got this job you know this is going to be airing people want to hear from you and he just it's like well no this is what press conferences are for i don't talk outside the press conference it was so awkward and it's just like it just blows my mind that like how can you, after all these years, he has not gotten any better with this stuff. And it's, it's just, it's crazy to me. I don't understand how that's possible. Go Bears, man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess. Like, I think the other interesting thing 
as far as this whole deal is concerned, has been following the reaction of different Louisville players um, because you can almost see the divide there. You, you can almost see that for a couple of years, like, like it was kind of okay within the program. Like you see guys like Jalen Smith and Gigi Robinson and a couple of others saying like, you know, go get him. Like he's going to turn that program around. He's going to win games. And I think the, the, the most of the tweeting from players who were really disgruntled, really upset with Bobby Petrino were from guys that were freshmen, sophomores in the program who, who kind of were there the post Grantham years. And it's hard not to sense that there was a great divide there amongst what was going on with Louisville football in like 2014 through 2016 and what was happening in 2017-18. Now, there, there were also some some graduated players who you know, said disparaging things about Petrino and made it apparent that they um, all appreciated the the current staff more. But I just thought that was kind of interesting. Did you sense like some of the same stuff? Like I was surprised that there were that many players willing to come out who played on that 2018 team that was such a just calamity who were like, go get him, coach. Like, like you're going to be good there. I was, I was a little bit surprised. I think, you know, the way that it was described to me last year that you, it was that you pretty much could, you could just draw a line in the middle of the locker room. You know, you had this just huge, just fracture with the team of young guys. Uh, I don't want to say versus the old guys, but that's kind of the way it came off to me, the way it was described that you just had these young guys who really didn't get along with the, the older guys. And I think part of that was because the younger guys had absolutely no interaction with coaches. Uh-huh. You know, they just kind of, they were kind of left on their own and the older guys were more established. They just, they, they're, they were used to it. They're used to being, being in college and, you know, they don't really need that interaction with coaches as much and, and, and things like that. So you had a bunch, I think there was just like this, this group, most of the young guys just didn't really enjoy anything, which made them not enjoy the older guys who naturally kind of looked down on younger guys. It was just, a, it was so, it was very interesting the way that it was told to me because it wasn't that way before and last year just kind of went out of control. And I think that kind of led to a lot of the issues on the team. Uh, one thing I found interesting, because I know I have a, a good amount of players' parents who follow me, is the reaction from some of the parents. Yeah, I saw because that. Because that's always been kind of interesting to me because that's, that's I don't know, I, those guys don't always uh, keep it as, you know, I guess as, as, as friendly as some of the players do. Because some of the players are just like, hey, you know, good luck to you. You know, I think it's some of them were just, hey, I'm just, I'm just sending along a, a nice thing or whatever, my, whatever it may be. And some guys are more, you know, adamant about, you know, hoping that he wins. And, you know, it was interesting. But, you know, I don't know if there's too many players that have played for him and then left the program. I, I, I think it's always been that way. He has some guys that I feel like you could kind of say he played favorites with. They were, you know, kind of he was good with. They were good with him. And then you also have a lot of guys that just they, it was the exact opposite. They got in the doghouse. He didn't let people out of his doghouse once you're in there. So it was it, 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 I just when it comes down to it, to me, the biggest thing, the, the most. I guess the thing that stands out to me is that I don't feel like you even you would ever find that divide with Scott Satterfield. You know, right. I think you just have the entire team is like, yeah, I like this guy. And I think that just says a lot to me. And I think that most coaches, you get that. You don't get too many coaches that have players that just don't like them. That's just not real normal. So it's just, I don't know, it was interesting. I was kind of surprised with some of the some of the specific players that I noticed. I won't say who kind of kind of struck me kind of odd. But, you know, I think some of those guys are, you know, going taking the, the high road, I guess, maybe. Yeah. Um, 
as far as the fan reaction, like there are some Louisville fans. There, there's a group of Louisville fans who I, th- I think still are supportive of Bobby Petrino, who recognize the good times and all that good stuff. I think a, a larger group, a much larger group, is still too bitter over what happened in 2018, bitter over how much money he got when he left, and, and bitter over you know some of the stories that have come out since he was fired uh, over a year ago. But long term, I mean, time has a way of removing the thorn from the rose. I'm really curious to see. Like, he's a he's a fascinating figure if you're looking at the history of Louisville sports. Because if you're a Louisville football fan, a diehard Louisville football fan, it doesn't matter how long you've been following the team, how old you are, how passionate you are. If you're asked to list like your ten favorite Louisville football moments of all time, there's a good chance that half of them, at least, are something to do with Bobby Petrino, like the wins in his first tenure, uh, the bowl games going to a BCS game for the first time, Lamar Jackson winning the Heisman Trophy in his second tenure, the win over Florida State, you know, being in the college football playoff discussion, like all that good stuff. Like all of that happened under the watch of Bobby Petrino. And yet at the end of the day, like he's a overwhelmingly negative figure right now. Do you think that Louisville fans, I'm, not you personally, because I, I, know, I, know <laughs> I know where you stand on this. Do you think Louisville fans ever get to a point where 15, 20 years from now, like the the way it ended is more of a footnote and people are more respectful of the entire tenure? Or is the what did it get so bad at the end that this is the way he's always going to re- be remembered by a bulk of Cardinal fans? Let me just say that I was I was loading up a clip. I was I was, I was about to let this like fuck now, man. Like <laughs> I, could, I was like I was like all right, like, all right, all right, stop talking. I can't wait. I can't wait. That's <laughs> gonna fucking kill this guy. But no, I, I, I like. <laughs> I think for most fans, I think here here's the thing. A lot of this is going to depend on how well or not well Scott Satterfield, and if Scott Satterfield were to leave, whoever the next coach does. I for think sure. that right now the biggest thing with Bobby Petrino, even long term, is that he has more years here than other coaches. You know, Charlie Strong's time here was very good for the four years he was here. What he did when he left in, in Texas and in South Florida, to me, obviously, it, it just doesn't matter. I think most fans, it doesn't matter. I think the time that he had here, you know, you have Teddy, you have those great defenses, you have all the wins, you have the BCS game, but it's only it's such a small sample size. And I think that's such a that's a big factor in with with Petrino's that he has two stints, he has more more games essentially to kind of look back on so i think as time goes on if the program progresses i think that petrino i don't think that fans really give him a pass for not just last year but just all of the off the field stuff the overall uh the history that he has when it comes to college football and football in general is still part of it for everybody i mean what happened in Arkansas will always be a thing. What happened with the Falcons? And then just his comically silly like persona and how he's viewed by outside of Louisville fans, I think does seep into how Louisville fans see him, especially after last year. So, you know, you know what I mean? Like he, he, he has, you know, you look at national media or other fans, they can't help but make fun of Bobby Petrino. A lot of Louisville fans have like jumped in on that now because of last year, because of the 14 million. And I think that if Satterfield, like not just wins games, but does it in the way that he seems to be doing now, where he's such a, he's such an easy guy to root for. I think it just, it hurts Petrino's legacy here with everybody. But I think there will always be a a subset of fans, a a pretty 
a pretty sizable amount of fans that they, they just like Bobby Ruggiero. He won games. He did it in a fun way. Uh, and and a lot of those folks, they just they only care about what happens on the field. So I think plenty of those people, no matter what happens, they're going to view him uh, very well. I just I definitely won't ever be one of those people, obviously. Uh, but I think plenty of people will. I think you're exactly right about like what happens in the next ten years will play a large role in determining how Louisville fans view Petrino and how they view those two ten years. I mean, for like it, in the end. All this shit that we talk about, all the minutia, all the details, all the good guy and culture, like every topic that we have, it all comes down to winning. Like like winning shapes everything. We talked about Arkansas fans being, you know, trying to to get Petrino back and him them giving him the standing O at that quarterback club speaking thing. If if, If Arkansas had been rolling for the last decade, the last eight years. You think any Arkansas fan would want Bobby Petrino back? They would not give a shit about the Cotton Bowl. They would not give a shit about the top six ranking or whatever it was that one year. Like they would not care at all. It's the same thing in basketball. Like that that first year after Petino, uh, Rick Petino gets fired, the first couple months go okay, and you got fans who are like, "Man, David Padgett's playing the freshman. Petino would never do that." Or David Padgett's winning at Notre Dame. Petino would never do that. And then when it goes south, everybody's like, well, Rick would have done this or Rick would have done that. And it's the yeah. exact same thing with Chris Mack. I mean, last year, all you hear about is Patino went to the NIT in his first year. Mack goes to the NCAA tournament in his first year. But whenever there's a bad game this season, it's all, you know, the style's just not fun. And Rick would have won this game by 40. You know, the, the bring the pressing back. The pack line sucks. It's just you are a villain until the guy after you is worse and then you become the hero again and it, it's just the way oh, yeah. that it works and i think that you're right i think if, if louisville if for whatever reason this is as good as it gets under scott satterfield and you know the team doesn't play well the next five years and he gets fired and the next guy's not good then yeah people are going to be looking at petrino in fonder eyes than they are right now but if if satterfield wins if you can combine winning and feeling good about the guys who are leading you to winning, that's best-case scenario. And I think Scott Satterfield's done a hell of a job of that so far. Speaking of which, we've already got, with the national championship game being done, we've got all the early top 25s for next season that are coming out. To my knowledge, and I think I'll give uh, Connor Shea credit for compiling this. I know a couple of other people have too, but I saw his list. I think 12 national outlets have put together their early top 25s for the 2020 football season. Six of them have Louisville there. Um, and I'll fully admit, it surprises me a little bit. Uh, I, I'm not saying that I disagree with it, but it's just still kind of new to see, like to, to be getting some hype after last season, the only talk being, are they going to go two and 10? Are they going to go three and nine? Is this the worst power five conference team of all time? Like all that stuff. Are you surprised to see Louisville popping up in these early top 25s? Yeah, I'm a little surprised. Um, you know, I, I've made it pretty known and I've been kind of banging this drum because it, it really was a thing that kind of helped me get a better feel for what this year I thought this year was going to be is I, I started looking at the roster more and started getting more in the detail of what it really looks like as opposed to just looking at recruiting rankings or looking at the starters and things like that. And that was kind of spurned on. I, I pointed out the Stephen Godfrey of SB Nation. You know, he talked to coaches when Louisville was going through the coaching search and they, they told him, and, and, I, and he pointed this out recently, that one of them just pointed out it pointed it out to him without him being asked. He just, you know, just told him, like, yeah, Louisville has the worst roster I've ever seen. And, you know, a lot of people look at that as a talent, and it's not really a talent issue. It's just that they don't they weren't balanced at all. They had 17 wide receivers and, like, seven offensive linemen, I think, going into spring ball and whatnot. And so 
for for Louisville to go from that to being viewed to kind of being a team that is has arrived, I guess, or fixed the issues already, I don't know if they're there yet. You know, especially on the defensive side of the ball, they have a lot of depth issues. You know, they're going to be playing freshmen all over the place next year. Um, they still they're they're having to replace two of those offensive linemen that were two of the best offensive linemen of that group. They're going to have mm-hmm. to replace those guys, and they don't really have they haven't gotten they haven't been able to recruit enough to really say that yeah we're we're just plug guys in there. Uh, but the the one thing that Louisville does have going for them is they're pretty much bringing back everybody other than those two offensive linemen and a couple of guys on defense that I think that they can they can replace a little bit easier. So I think that's where a lot of folks are looking at. That's where a lot of those, a lot of writers, that's what the first thing they look for is like, okay, who's coming back? Right. How much are they losing? And Louisville's in a really good place because they're bringing back almost every key player outside of Makai Becton. And that is not, that is a recipe for success usually. They've got Hawkins coming back. Mikhail Cunningham looks like a completely different player than he looked like even halfway through the season. Um you know, so that's that's definitely kudos to the staff. You can see the player development already. The wide receiver group should be good. The defense should be better. How better is a uh, that's anybody's guess. But I don't see them regressing. I don't see them holds you know holding pat. I think we'll at least see a little bit better from maybe con- from a consistency standpoint. Less blown coverages. You know, you're not going to see you know, the, the UK and the Clemson game where they just got ran all over. I don't think we'll see that. I think it'll be more consistent and more balanced, but I, I, I don't think there's, I still don't think they're there, but you look at the schedule and all you're really looking at is, can they win that Florida state game that they lost? And can they either beat Virginia tech or UK? And really that puts you in the top 25. I mean, that's nine or 10 wins. I think that that's not an unrealistic thing to think. It seems kind of crazy, you know, to me because they were, you know, they were so bad two years ago uh-huh. that it's just really hard to believe that they could end up being just as good as those Bobby Vitrino teams over the last five years or four of the five years this quickly. But I, I, it's hard to look at the schedule and not feel like it's possible. Uh, I don't think they're, the schedule's not crazy, uh, and they get some teams at home that I think is going to be helpful. So. I, I was surprised, I'm not going to lie, to, to see so many of those those top 25 lists. But I looked at the schedule and I was like, well, I don't really see why they can't go out and win eight, nine, or ten games. Uh, it's not unrealistic. So uh, definitely a good spot to be in. It's just it's kind of cool. It's fun. But it's just it really did catch me off guard and see them getting so much love so quickly. Oh, it's insanely fun. I mean, I, I never thought in a million years that we would be like, – this would be something that we would be talking about in mid-January of 2020 after what happened in 2018. I think like, all the concerns that you bring up are valid. I, I've got the exact same ones. I also see, <clears throat> excuse me, why if you're doing one of these top 25s, why Louisville's an, an attractive option for like that 17 to 25 range, where really nobody's going to give you shit if you have a team that's like 21st in the country and somebody thinks they're actually more like number 40. You can make a case for just about anybody. And if you look, like once you get kind of looking for those teams, those fringe teams, Louisville's an attractive option because. They went eight and five. They won a bowl game. They bring back one of the most productive running backs in the country. They bring back one of the most productive wide receivers in the country. And they bring back the quarterback who was the starter for all but two games and who had a pretty damn good season, too. Like, that's an easy sell uh, for Louisville as a top 25 team. Even if you go and look at, like, the defensive line and Makai Becton leaving and the way that the team, you know, played against Kentucky and got blown out by Miami, like, you can look at that stuff. But still, 
it's easy to sell readers on that team getting better uh, because of what they're bringing back. And because Scott Satterfield, honestly, is such a he's a buzz name nationally right now. So I think it's a it's a cool thing. It's fun. I'm excited for an entire summer of Louisville hype. I mean, it's going to be different, but it's going to be fun. Uh, I assume that you're pumped as well. Well, here's the thing that I I think kind of gets lost because the eight wins doesn't always seem great. But Louisville finished second in their their division. That's that's something that when you're looking at these things, you're going to notice. Louisville has had two wins over nine win teams. They only lost to bowl teams. They beat, you know, Virginia, who who won their division. It's not necessarily super unbelievably sexy things. But when you look around the country, there's not other teams that did that. And that, I think that's where there, there's a heart. People look at, I guess, they, they look for these sexy things that are going to jump out at you. And when it comes down to it, when you get past, like, the top 15 teams in the country, it's really about who's not as bad as the other guys. I mean, yeah. you know, you look, you look at Texas or Texas A&M, which are two of the teams that finished at 25 and I think 26, like, right there. And I, I remember watching a, an AP voter kind of go back and forth on his, on his Twitter about who he should write there. And I was like, Good luck, dude. Texas A&M lost to every good team they played. <laughs> Texas just happened to beat, a, a, you know, one or two good teams. And I think they had a mutual, like, uh, win over a ranked team, and that was it. It's really just, okay, which one of these teams is not as bad as the other one? It's not necessarily who's better. And I think that's where, you know, obviously UK fans just lost their mind on this whole thing, which is just, I don't rivalry, but I couldn't even help but just be like, oh, my God, you guys are way too, it's January. Stop it. Like, you, you yeah. look stupid. But, yeah. you know, you look at that and it's like, well, they, they, yeah, they beat Louisville, but they went three and five in conference. Louisville and Virginia Tech are essentially their only good wins of the year. So, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, you guys are essentially worse than the other guys. It's not about, you know, and, and I think that's just hard for people to realize because everybody thinks their team is better than everybody else. But I think that's where Louisville is right now. But I think that if you can really, you look at the schedule, and I, I really can't get past this. If they beat Florida State next year and they win every other game that they they won this year, you're looking at the potential of, okay, now you just have to be able to beat Virginia Tech or Kentucky, and you're looking at a potential 10-win season, which Louisville has not had in the ACC yet. And that is not even close to being unrealistic about it. I don't think they're anywhere near Clemson, and and I'm going to keep making sure I point that out because (laughs) someone did make a good point to me when we were, like, earlier season, it was in the mentions on on Car Crown in the comments. If like people are going to really take off and think that Clemson's going to, you know, we're going to be beating Clemson. And it's like, yeah, no, that's unrealistic. And those people are stupid, Like they're not yeah. going to beat Clemson. And if they do, it would be unbelievable. And as long as you can say that about it, like, hey, it would be absolutely insane if they beat Clemson. It's completely OK to feel like, yeah, they're not going to be Clemson. It's not being it's being realistic, you know, so they're not there. I think that Notre Dame, I think that's that's something that is a possibility. I think they actually had a chance to beat them this year if they played Notre Dame late in the season instead of the first game, and they actually had the offense running like it should have been running, I think there's a chance they, they get into a shootout, and who knows. So I think the next year, games like that, yeah, that's going to be fun to be able to say, man, they can, they have a chance to beat a, maybe a Notre Dame. Clemson is on a whole different level. They're just not there. But I, yeah. I think that 10 wins is a I – I wouldn't laugh anybody in a room at it if they said, I think they can win 10 games. I, I, I could see that happening. But I also think that one thing that, that happened this year – that got kind of lost is that they they had very very good injury luck. You know, Juwan Pass goes down. Mikael Cunningham has some you know knee issues, and he has to come in and out with Evan Conley, and they won some games even without that, or even with that happening. But they didn't have any major injuries 
you know, guys being out for the season to guys they can't replace. You know, if Tutu Atwell went down or if Makai Beckton missed the whole season instead of just one game or two games, if, you know, C.J. Avery or Dorian Etheridge missed, you know, long trips, they didn't have any of that happen. Next year, they still need that kind of luck because that's where the depth issues are, are really going to show up, and they're not there from a depth standpoint. So if they can still be lucky with the injury injury standpoint, Satterfield even pointed out, you know, gave props to us to the to the team doctors and all those all those folks in that in that department because he's like these guys are staying healthy. We're getting these guys back very quickly from these dings and you know dings that they're getting. If they can have that luck again, that's going to play a big factor because they're they're going to be in a bad spot in a lot of different positions if they have a guy go down because they just don't have anybody there yet. Yeah, you also you mentioned Clemson and you mentioned season opener. There is a decent amount of buzz, by the way, that that season opener is going to be on the road at Clemson, um, whether it's like Sunday night, Monday night, one of those uh, weird games because it's Labor Day weekend and NFL hasn't started yet. Uh, we know it's going to be a conference game. I think that they're down to one of two possible opponents. We should get the, the schedule from the ACC pretty soon. But don't be shocked at all if Louisville's opening up next season against the uh, the reigning national runners up, which would be, you know, It'd be fun to talk about during the summer. Uh, it'd be kind of like the Alabama game a couple years ago. But fun's one word. Uh, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, Keith, we have, uh, we've ended all three of the, the podcasts so far with an embarrassing story. Uh, Danny told one the first two episodes. The third one was kind of more about my embarrassing story this week. I'm putting you on the spot here. Do you have a recent story of a mild to not so mild embarrassment? Oh, man. Um if not, that's okay. Yeah, so I guess I can tell this one. So, so I, I, a couple weeks ago, I'm in Arkansas uh, with my wife's family, and <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, how embarrassing it or <laughs> just unfortunate. But put yourself in this spot, I guess, and maybe it, it makes it embarrassing or, or ridiculous. So we go out to dinner and, uh, you know, get back to the house. You know, we're going to bed because we're leaving the next morning. And I get unimaginably sick at my in-laws' house, and I am stuck, like vomiting up all of dinner oh, no. in the bathroom, and I can't, like, I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, I, I, like, you know, there's no, I don't know, there's no trash cans. I'm, I'm like vomiting in the towels. Like, I'm, like, oh, it's like, God. it's like a crazy, like, meet the fuckers kind of like moment, and I'm like what is going on? Like, I feel like I was like being pranked. Like did somebody poison my food. I can't get a hold of my wife because she sleeps like a rock. I'm calling her. I'm like texting. I'm doing everything. And I'm stuck. Like, you know, like, it's just like those, like a crazy moment. Like what are the odds of me getting this sick in my in-laws like bathroom? Oh God. And I, and like, it's like two o'clock in the morning. So I don't know how embarrassing that is, but to me, it was just like, I don't know. It's just one of those ridiculous moments where I'm like, like, what, how do I explain this in the morning when everybody wakes up and I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. There's vomit everywhere all over the place. Uh, and I'm un- unbelievably sick. I'm like in the shower cleaning up and everything. And I'm like, am I going to wake up the whole house? And they're going to be like, what did you do? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I got sick. So <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if that's even like embarrassing or appropriate. But yeah, that's that's probably that's the most ridiculous thing that's happened to me recently. Uh, oh, God. So, so, yeah, that's. Uh, that's my that's my embarrassing story, I guess. There it I is. Some, I, I do some dumb stuff, but that's probably the most most recent one, I guess. 
Never go to Arkansas, kids. Uh, if you're listening to this, that's the lesson here. Um, Keith Wynn, appreciate it, man. It was fun talking with you. Uh, follow Keith on Twitter if you haven't already, at Keith underscore Wynn. We're going to have him back on and talk more football as we continue to do the podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you can find podcasts. Rate us five stars. It helps us and makes us more accessible. Uh, Keith, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate you, uh, you joining us here. Hey, I had a great time, man. I'm looking forward to doing this more often. All right, this was Card Chronicle Podcast Episode 4. We'll see you guys next time. Next time.